powerful words that we have just sung of uh, the truth of what happened on the cross. If, uh, if you have opportunity, um, ponder on, on those words even later as the elements are passed. That would be uh, worth reading, reading through. Uh, if you will turn to Romans chapter 8, Romans 8. I don't know if any of you heard, but there is a game later today. I don't want to take your mind there, because you're probably, um, some of you doing what you can to, to uh, not be thinking about that, but uh, it's good that you're here, because uh, the, the tickets right now are going for... Well, they're exceeding $4,600 a piece, and uh, they'll, they'll go up and, until probably the game starts after the first quarter or something. They'll start going down. So um, this is actually the uh, 50th Super Bowl. I know all of you are too young to remember the first one, but if you did remember and had the opportunity, the first Super Bowl... Uh, tickets, the most expensive ones, were $12. And there were some 32,000 empty seats in the stadium that day. Uh, so it was quite a different time. And amazing how, even though that's 50 years is 50 years, but relatively speaking, how Quickly, things have changed just in that one area until we got to where we are today. That's the world we live in. But the beauty of the Word of God is that it does not change. The beauty of the Word of God is that, that as quickly as our world is changing the absolute truths, that we read in His Word are as relevant today as they were not just 50 years ago, but as they were when God inspired the writers of Scripture to give them. And for that, we can be thankful. I want to read you just two verses. We'll be looking at some others, but in Romans uh, 8. And by the way, this is... Uh, this passage is the beginning of a, a paragraph uh, that will be on this week, next week, and the next. But this, is some, this paragraph uh, is sometimes called a hymn of assurance, a triumph song. One writer called it the highest plateau in the whole of divine revelation. Those are some big words about this. We read in verse 31 of Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, uh, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's bow together. The highest plateau in the whole of divine revelation. How could we ever hope to walk across that plateau to reach it except by your Holy Spirit? And so we would ask that that uh, rather than drag uh, the Lord Jesus down to us, that we would be lifted up to him by your spirit and by your word. And we would ask for that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I lost a friend this week. He was a fellow PCA pastor. And uh, he was someone that I have known ever since Connie and I were in a high school youth group with him. That's going back a few years. And when I say I lost him, I lost him at least from this world. He had a bicycle accident. And he, uh, in that accident, broke his neck and his back. They got him to the hospital, did emergency surgery, and uh, he lived for a couple of days. They didn't know whether he would ever walk again, and then he, he took a turn to where he couldn't breathe on his own, and mercifully, he then went to be with the Lord. My friend Mark is okay. He's just fine. But his wife and his grown children aren't. As you can imagine. The little church he served in Mesa, Arizona, no doubt today, is grieving. And it's times like this, and I know I am not unique. Some of you have had losses this week or very recent, and uh, probably with people that are, are closer to you even. And it's times like this that cause the questions to come. And that's okay. Okay. Whenever we hear of what we think of as a, a human tragedy, every time we hear of someone else who's been diagnosed with cancer, every time we, we hear of a sudden and what we think of as a tragic loss, because we are human, questions come to mind. Well, we are entering a passage that is full of questions. As we uh, look at these, I, I want us to begin with uh, verse 31 because these are, are some of the questions that, that people want to ask. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if you remember, as we've gone through Romans, and if you haven't been with us through Romans, I'll, I'll remind us, Paul has been the master of asking uh, questions 
that either need to be answered, that, that we would either be thinking of, or we should be thinking in terms of uh, uh, needing an answer to. And so today we're going to look at these two, two questions in this passage, and there are three more next week. One commentator called them unanswerable questions. Now, basically, he called them unanswerable because they seem to present something that would defeat God's plan when the question is asked, or something that would diminish his purpose, or even alter his love for us, depending on how they are answered. But they're unanswerable because the only answer to these questions goes back to this answer, and that is nothing and no one. What can alter his love for us? Nothing and no one. What can change his divine plan from being the best? Nothing. No one. And so that answer keeps coming back to us. So look at the first question. What then shall we say to these things? What are the things that uh, Paul is referring to? Well, he's talking about the things that he's just been talking about in uh, Romans 8. So let's review very quickly. I'll give you some of the highlights. We've been in Romans 8 for uh, some time. It begins that there is now no condemnation. We see that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, so you no longer walk in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Romans 8 teaches us that we're not orphans or slaves, but we are adopted into his family. And so much so that we are to call him Abba, Father, Daddy. That's the relationship, he says, we have. And not only that, we are, we are joint heirs with Christ. That which belongs to Him belongs to us. If we are trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, and we are that child of the living God. And then we got to the section where it talked about suffering. When we suffer, the Holy Spirit is our comforter and is interceding for us to help us in our weakness. And then Paul comes to the climax. The highest peak on the highest mountain, as one said, with verse 29 and 30, which we looked at last week. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then he says, what do we say to that? 
What do we say to these things? So basically, the Apostle Paul is saying this right on the heels of what we looked at last week. He's saying, what shall be our response to God's sovereignty? To the fact that he he predestines, that he is in control of this universe and that, that he who begins salvation completes it. What do we say to that? We need to look at Paul's attitude toward that. Because when that's presented, when God as a sovereign God is presented, there are lots of different kinds of reactions that can come. For some, it's out-and-out rebellion. No. That's not fair. For some, it's not so much rebellion as some kind of denial. I see it here, but there's got to be some way to explain this and try to explain it away in some other way that makes us more comfortable with God being in control. And then, for some, they will reluctantly say, okay, I see it there in the Scripture, but I don't have to like it that he predestines, that he's in control of all things, that he is sovereign. And we, as it were, stamp our foot and say, I don't, I don't like this doctrine. You know what the Apostle Paul's reaction to that doctrine is, that God is absolutely sovereign? Paul sees it as the believer's absolute and deepest comfort. It's absolute comfort. It's not to be rebelled against. It's not to be explained away. And if we do any of those, or if we just tolerate it, we are missing the comfort that he offers from being our Father who absolutely loves us and is in control so that all of these things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The alternative, I think of my friend and how people would answer and think of his life to die like he did at age 59, leave his wife and family, leave a congregation, no doubt struggling today. Well, God is either absolutely in control and he absolutely loves us and what what we have read is completely true or this is a tragedy 
How unlucky can one person be? What kind of fate would, would take him away from that? Looking at an impersonal universe where those kinds of things accidentally happen. It's either that or we believe what the Bible says that all of the days of our life were ordained, predestinated before one of them came to be. Now if that's the case, then Mark's life wasn't cut short. He took every breath that before he was ever born, God had ordained for him to take. And for that, I rejoice. And for him, for Mark who has escaped from this world and gone home, that's the difference. John Stott says uh, about this first question, the apostle's answer to his own question is to ask five more questions to which there is no answer. He hurls them into space, as it were, in a spirit of bold defiance. He challenges anybody and everybody in heaven, earth, or hell to answer them and to deny the truth which they contain. What do we say? But there is no answer. For no one and nothing can harm the people whom God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. That's why it's comfort. Nothing and no one can harm the people whom God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. So Paul's conclusion leads to the second question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul, you got to be kidding. I can think of a lot of things that, that are against us, or at least that make me think there is something against us. My own flesh. My struggle with sin. That's against me. The world I live in. It seems like this world is against us. Satan himself is against us. Circumstances seem to be against us. But this text is saying that whatever you're struggling with right now that you think makes Him against you. If you are in Christ, those things won't take you down. They can't. He will sustain you. And if we're still struggling with that, Paul presents in the form of another question an undeniable truth. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? So he's, he's asking the question that next unanswerable question. He's saying, look, if, if he didn't spare his son, what, would, what in the world would make you think that he would withhold something from you? That idea of not sparing your son is a, a, a very similar phraseology to way back in in Genesis 22, where we have Abraham and Isaac. You have, <clears throat> you have uh, God telling Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, take him up, up the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. Abraham, amazingly, by faith, because somehow he believed what we said earlier, not in these words, but he believed that, that no one and nothing can harm the people whom God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. He got it. And so by faith, he, he starts up this mountain, and he is ready to do what God told him to do, to sacrifice his one and only son. And God stopped him. Here's what it says in Genesis 22. God said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You see that same phraseology? You haven't withheld it from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a, a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And that points forward. God says, spare your one and only son. But on Mount Calvary, I will not spare my one and only son. I will not withhold my son from your greatest needs. And so we see the cross. John Stott, again, says the cross proves God's generosity. Isn't that a great phrase? The cross proves His generosity. That's what this passage says. So Paul earlier said, what about these things? Now he speaks of God graciously giving us all things. What do we say about these things? God is going to graciously give us all things. Now, what's that talking about? Over in 2 Peter 1, verse 2 and 3, and I'll just read this to you. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of 
in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things. There it is. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me summarize it. He gives us all all that I need for Him to bring me home. He gives us all that I need to get through this life. He gives us all things that we need to be sustained in this often difficult journey. What proves that? What makes us so sure that He will give us all those things? Well, here's how Paul proves it. From God's perspective, God is basically indicating my son's death will not be in vain. I will also see that what I began in my children will be completed. They'll get through You will get through. We will get through. And he proved it on the cross by not sparing his son. If he would give for us that which was the most valuable to him, why would we ever think that he would withhold from us that which is less valuable. And so that's the beauty of this table. It helps us remember. It helps us remember what happened there on the cross. Paul elsewhere says it this way. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that while he spared the sacrifice of Isaac, he did not spare the sacrifice of his son. And his son's sacrifice of his body. And then he further reminds us, This cup, he said, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's what we remember. That he didn't spare his own blood. It was poured out for us. And he sealed. It's not just a memorial that we're doing here. Because he sealed the covenant promises that he would be our God. And he didn't seal them with wax or with a stamp. He sealed those promises with his own precious blood that he shed for us. And that we remember here as well. 
That's the only way our sins could be paid for. And this is what leads Paul to warn those who don't know Christ or who are walking another direction away from Him. To warn them that that because we are remembering the cross and what Christ has done, don't you dare make a mockery of this. Because if you do, you're calling down judgment on yourself. And so the gracious warning, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What a gracious and loving warning that is. And so if you find yourself in, in that position today, we're, we're delighted that you're here. I'm so happy you're here. I'm glad you've participated in worship. And we give some prayers. You can pray during the passing of the elements, but don't feel any pressure to take because I don't want you to call down judgment upon yourself but for you who are in Christ. In this we rejoice. This is not an awful memorial service. It is a joyful service knowing that He didn't spare anything for us as children. He gave it all. And so, It's out of His great love for us that we can enjoy this supper. And we ponder these unanswerable questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody and nothing. And how do we know? Because He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Before we eat this glorious meal together, let's pray. Lord, give us the faith to to believe that you would not withhold anything from us, your children. We rejoice that you have invited us to this table. This table that was set by you at the highest of costs. But it reminds us of your deep and abiding love. May we be granted comfort because you are the God that is sovereign and that will carry us through to the end. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.